0: Well, before we get started this morning, I want to ask for your prayers. Uh, This next week, I'll take uh, my annual study leave. It's a bittersweet time. I spend a week uh, in solitude, no TV, no people. Um, That's the bitter part. (laughs) Um, It's hard to be away from your family for that period of time. And I do struggle to stay focused and to really listen to the Lord well. Um, The sweetness is God is always faithful. He gives me just what I need, and and that's the time that I really plan out the entire year in terms of what we will be looking at together as a church family uh, as we go to His Word. So I would be greatly comforted to know that you were praying while I was there. I would cover your prayers very much. Um, Well, last week we talked about living with purpose. And you may remember I said that a gospel-centered life doesn't happen by accident. We must be intentional about passionately pursuing a walk with Christ. Otherwise, over time, that passion will fade away. We see the very same principle at work in marriage. In the beginning, there's lots of excitement, right? Everything's new. It's one big adventure. Uh, This past week, we spent time with Chris and Emma as they are preparing to be Mr. and Mrs. Sanders. And they're doing a lot of the right things. They're spending time with couples. They're seeking counsel. They want to be intentional about how they lay a foundation for their relationship and marriage. And I commend them for that. And as we told them, the key to marriage is being just as intentional five, 10, even 50 years down the road. Because it's real easy to fall in love, it takes some work to stay in love because a love that is unattended will eventually grow cold instead of an exciting adventure it becomes a a predictable routine because ultimately love is a choice and when we stop choosing to love the passion will fade away everything can look good on the outside But on the inside, love is slowly eroding away. And what's important to understand is that principle that applies to marriage is equally true in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that because Scripture speaks about a relationship that has grown cold, a a church that has left their first love, and everything looked good on the outside. This is a church that has a long history in faithful ministry. They've impatiently endured difficulty and and hardship. They've maintained a commitment to biblical truth. But somewhere along the way, the passion faded. And even though they were diligent in ministry, their heartfelt devotion to Christ was gone. Now, I cannot hear those words and think about that church, and not think about us. Not because we're necessarily there, but I do believe if we're not careful, we could be. We have a long history of faithful ministry here at Melanie Park Church. In fact, it may surprise some of you to know that in March of this year, March 12th to be exact, we will have celebrated 50 years as an organized church. That's a good, long history, and not very common in our world today. And in those 50 years, we've had our fair share of difficulty and hardship. But I'm thankful to say that that I believe that Melanie Park has maintained a faithful commitment to biblical truth throughout those years. And we should be proud of that history. But we should also be careful not to let our pride cause our passion. To fade over time. We cannot afford to lose our devotion to Jesus Christ. As we will see. It is possible to be faithful in ministry and still leave your first love. That should create somewhat of an unsettledness among us. It it causes me to kind of catch my breath. That that you can be faithful in ministry. (laughs) everything looking good on the outside, and yet still lose your first love. So as we look at our passage this morning, can I ask you to do something? Would you take it personal? I want you to take it personal. I want you to be honest, to examine your heart, both individually and for us corporately as a church. We need to ask ourselves, what would we do if Jesus used these words to describe us? Will you take it personal? And let's consider that together. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we want to have uh, clear minds and open hearts. I cannot think of these words to this church in Ephesus and not think about us. Such a strong, faithful church for so many years. And, and I believe that's true of us. But it scares me to think that we can be faithful in ministry and still lose our first love. Lord, please (laughs) protect us. Help us. If, If for nothing else, this morning might be something that you might use to awaken something in our heart. That allows us to be diligent to protect the passionate pursuit of knowing you. Individually and who we are as a church. I ask this fervently, sincerely in your name. Amen. If you would turn to Revelation chapter one or chapter two, verse one, Revelation chapter two, verse one, familiar passage, but we're going to take it personal as we look at this together. It begins by saying in chapter 2, verse 1 of Revelation, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Now, I'm going to just pause there because before we move on, it's important to be reminded about the importance of this church in Ephesus. This time last year, we looked at the letter of Ephesus, and we learned that Ephesus is located, is the city, uh, third largest city in the Roman Empire. The Apostle Paul spent about three years helping establish this church, which to to my knowledge may be the longest time he spent at any one church, but tells you some of the significance of this body of believers. At the time that Paul wrote that letter to the Ephesians, Timothy was the pastor. They had strong believers, people like Aquila and Priscilla. You've heard of them. They were members of the church in Ephesus. The Ephesian church was like a a hub, a center of of a network of churches in that area. In fact, eight of the 21 New Testament letters were written to that network of churches. The church of Ephesus has a rich history of faithful ministry. They are internally strong and and, they are externally minded. They, probably like us, had a a long list of people raised up and, and sent out from that body of believers into the area and the world around them a faithful church. Really remarkable in many ways. Look at what it says again in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, to the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven, seven lampstands, golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds. Now, Just to help us understand this passage in the book of Revelation, stars represent angels or messengers. Lampstands, especially in this case, represent churches. And the one who holds all of this in his sovereign control is Jesus. Jesus is the one who is saying, I know your deeds. Now, as we hear those words, we need to appreciate the fact that the very same thing could be said of us. Jesus knows our deeds he lives among us he he knows the heart behind our worship he he was here and present with us this morning he knows that he knows the sincerity of our service our attention to his word Jesus is present he knows our deeds And Jesus goes on to describe what he observes in understanding the workings of this church in Ephesus. And he gives some really glowing praise. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, I know your deeds, your toil and perseverance, that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. And they are not. And you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Jesus acknowledges their diligence. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. This is a church that has not grown weary in doing good. They are busy in ministry, faithfully equipping the saints for the the work of service. Diligent, productive, faithful. But they're also discerning. Jesus says, you don't tolerate evil men. You put teachers to the test. So even though they're busy in ministry, they're careful not to compromise. They're known for their pure doctrine, their theological insight. They have a faithful commitment to biblical truth. And even when it was difficult, this church in Ephesus remained determined he says, you have endured for my name'sake." Now, some of you may remember the words that Paul gave to the elders at Ephesus. It may be in the last encounter that he had with them before he went to Jerusalem and was later imprisoned. In uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he says these words to the elders in Ephesus. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul is speaking prophetically to the elders at Ephesus about a painful church split, influential leaders who will rise up among them, gain a following, and lead people astray. And by the time of, of John's vision, when he's receiving these words from Jesus, this church in Ephesus will have already endured that reality. They had persevered in the faith. They have endured for the sake of the gospel. This really is a remarkable church. They're diligent. They're discerning. They're determined. They have a long history A faithful ministry. And I really do believe in many respects those very same words can be used to describe us. This uh, vision that John received took place when uh, the church in Ephesus was almost 40 years old. We're about to celebrate our 50th anniversary. But in the midst of this glowing praise was a great concern. And let me urge you, please, pay attention. Look at verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Amidst the glowing praise is just a single indictment. You have left your first love. And yet this single deficiency has the power to destroy the church. In fact, Jesus actually says later in verse 5, basically, if you continue down this path, I will close your doors. That's what it means, to remove your lampstand. So often we talk about threats from outside the church, the government, the compromise in our culture, and I share those concerns. But as we see from this example in Ephesus, the greatest concern is not the persecution from the outside. It's the apathy on the inside. And what's true for the church in Ephesus is equally true for us. So let's try to understand and be clear about what it means to leave your first love. And to do that, I want to go back to the very end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In fact, these are the last two verses that he writes to the saints in uh, Ephesus. He says in verse 23, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. With a love that is incorruptible. These are the last words that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And three times in those two verses, he speaks about love. And now in Revelation, it seems a little bit haunting, doesn't it? Paul began his letter to the Ephesians praising them for their love. He closes that letter with telling them to to continue in that love and now some 35 years later Jesus has said they've left their first love. Now I do believe Jesus I do believe that Jesus is speaking primarily about their relationship with him. He is their First love. They have lost their passion for Christ in the midst of fervent and faithful ministry. Good doctrine took precedent over heartfelt devotion. They were faithful and diligent to seek God with their head and with their hands, but not with their heart. And to get a picture of what that might look like, I want to turn to a very familiar New Testament passage in the Gospel of Luke. I want us to listen to this. Uh, We've heard it before, but let's put it in the context of uh, uh, our passage in Revelation. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who, moreover, was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you were worried and bothered about so many things. But only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Everyone remembers this story, right? And one of the things that we need to understand is that everyone in this family loved Jesus. This home was like a second home to him. They were like family to him. Mary, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. It's not that Martha... Was doing something wrong. This was her house. Jesus was her guest. She wanted him to feel welcome. But even though she was doing something good. It wasn't what was best. Jesus is always more concerned about what we do with him. Than what we do for him. Jesus is always concerned. About what we do with him. More than what we do for him. And really, I think instead of rebuking Martha in this situation, he's inviting her to something better. He tells her, Mary has chosen what is good, and it's almost implied, come, join her. You're invited. Sure, they'll eventually need to eat, but feeding their soul was much more important than serving the food. There's something else that's really important about this passage as well. I want you to notice the result of Martha's misplaced priorities on her relationships with others. Did you see how it created a a division between her and her sister Mary? She's not doing her part. This is not fair. That's because loving others always flows out of our love for God. And when our heart for God grows cold, our attitude towards others will grow harsh. When our heart for God grows cold, our attitude towards others will grow harsh. Our words take on a sharp tone. Even our silence can be condemning. We grow weary of difficult people who just can't seem to get it right. Our discerning spirit turns into a critical spirit. To the point that no matter how good something might be. We can always find something wrong with it. And in the end. We may know what to hate. But we forget what to love. You see a heartfelt devotion to Jesus Christ. Is the only way. To keep our heart soft. Humble worship at his feet. Is more important than faithful service, than doctrinal purity, because when we lose our first love, we lose sight of what's most important, Jesus. So let's look carefully at the solution that Jesus gives to this church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, Jesus tells the church in Ephesus, remember, repent, and repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat. Jesus begins by saying, remember from where you have fallen. Someone once said it this way, losing sight of the seriousness of sin removes the thrill of forgiveness. We leave our first love when we forget how much we need him. Pride is at the root of apathy. So think for a moment about when you first came to faith in Jesus Christ. I can remember that for my life very vividly. Sophomore in high school. Went to an FCA state convention. Heard the gospel and understood the good news for the first time in my life at that point. I'm sure I'd heard it before, but it came alive. So much so that when I returned home, I took no less than 50 note cards. And I wrote on them. (laughs) Who, in your opinion, is Jesus Christ? I gave them to friends. I gave them to family. I gave them to teachers. I gave them to people walking down the hall because I was so excited about what I'd learned about the person and work of Jesus Christ that if they didn't know, I was going to tell them. But what about you? Do you remember what it was like when you first fell in love with the love you received from God? Do you remember the excitement about being in his word? Learning about his faithfulness, that he'll never leave you, that he'll never forsake you. Remember how sweet that was? There's a true story about a student at DTS, fairly new believer. And uh, as you might expect, he was really intimidated by how much people knew about the Bible. (laughs) I know how he feels, I've been there. It's an intimidating place. This young man goes to the right source on this particular occasion. He goes to Dr. Hendricks, who's no longer with us, but what a great man. He goes to Dr. Hendricks and he says, Dr. Hendricks, I feel like I've got so much to learn and all of this seems so new to me. And Dr. Hendricks looked at him with utmost sincerity and said, Young man, pray that it never gets old. Pray that it never gets old. Remember from where you've fallen. Think back to when it all began and be just as intentional about your walk with Christ now as you were back then. Because a love that is unattended will eventually grow cold. Let me be clear. Good doctrine and faithful service are not enough. There is never any substitute For a heartfelt devotion to Jesus Christ. Sitting at his feet will always be the best possible choice you could ever make. It's what keeps us humble. Otherwise, our diligence turns into busyness. Our discernment turns into criticism. And our determination becomes callous indifference. And in the end, we leave our first love. And if that's where we live... There's only one right response repent. Repent. And repentance begins with being honest with your heart about what stands in the way. Does your busy lifestyle prevent you from being still so that you can't be at the feet of Jesus because, quite frankly, you just don't have time? Has materialism or personal success become a distraction? Where you've become so consumed about what you want. That you've lost sight of what you have. As a parent. Have your kids become your first love? Is That where you make your most important emotional investment. Even as a faithful follower of Christ. Have you become such an expert in what's wrong. That you've lost sight in the beauty Of what's right. Repentance begins. With being honest. About what stands in the way. Followed by a commitment. To go a different direction. It's a humble desire. To rekindle your love for Christ. Or as Jesus would say. Do the deeds you did at first. Do the deeds you did at first. Repeat what you did when it all began. And live with just as much intention now as you did back then. I can remember when Terry and I first began dating. Back then we didn't have cell phones and text messages. So we'd write notes. We'd send each other letters and we'd put them on our car. And I remember receiving those ner- notes and, and reading and re-reading, and rereading and rereading and soaking up every single word. I'd even smell the paper. <laughs> Because I wanted to soak up all the sweetness. My mind was constantly distracted about the opportunities I had to be with her. Seven years later, I remember looking at a picture that we took early in our marriage. And I remember asking myself, where did all that go? And just as clear as I'm standing here today, I believe the Lord spoke to my heart. And He said, Todd, love is a choice. You'll know that love when you choose that love. Pursue her heart just as you did at first. And you know what? He was right. I'm here to tell you today that the time-tested love of a marriage relationship gets sweeter and sweeter with time. In fact, in March, 25 years. But listen to me clearly. That love is not possible outside of a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot know that love if you do not walk faithfully in love with God. Let me show you a passage. 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is is love we can only know the essence of love from the creator of love god is love now we might have some cheap imitation but i promise you it is not the real thing apart from him the love that we express towards others must flow out of the love that we've received from him so if you're struggling in a relationship with someone let me encourage you not to go first and try to fix what's wrong with that relationship Let me encourage you to go first to the feet of Christ and turn your hearts toward Him. Let His love for you teach you how to show love for them. A love that has no limits, that has no boundaries, that has no conditions. It is a covenant love. And it is the only love that will stand the test of time for all eternity. Which is essentially what Jesus is saying in verse 7, when he writes, He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. (laughs) He's talking about eternal life. The perfect place where we live eternally in the presence of perfect love. That's what it's for. Now, when we began... I ask you to take it personal. I ask you to consider what it would be like if Jesus were writing these words to us. Because you see, in this passage, during John's vision of this church in Ephesus, he's speaking to the second and third generation Christians within the church in Ephesus. And when I look in this room, and I look in the mirror, I realize that's us. We are the second, third fourth-generation Christians within this church body. So it's important to ask ourselves, what are we going to do to protect a heartfelt devotion to Jesus Christ? Individually, are we continually devoted to pursuing a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ? That's why we walked through what we did last week, looking at those areas of faith and community, service and discipleship, and asking those important questions that we ought to ask Over and over again. To be intentional about passionately pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we also need to think about it corporately. To consider how we're doing as a church body. We should ask ourselves, what are we known for? What are we known for? When people talk about Melanie Park Church, what do they say? That we're a church that has been faithful in ministry for 50 years. That there is... A strong commitment to biblical truth. That we have a nice gazebo out front. I don't know. Whatever it may be. Right? But the challenge is to consider. What would they say? What would it look like if people say, you know what? When I think about Melanie Park Church, I think about people who really know how to love. Why would they say that? What would cause someone to say that? Maybe it's because we love one another well. We're continually devoted to one another, living in fellowship with one another, caring for one another. And honestly, I think we do a pretty good job of that. And we need to be faithful to continue in that. But I think it also includes our love outside of ourselves, (laughs) love within our community, serving in places like Lubbock Impact or doing meals on wheels. I realize that there's a lot of ministries out there and there is no perfect ministry. There is no perfect church. There's a lot that we can find wrong, but what can you do that's right? What are we going to do to continue to raise up people from within this church body so that we have more and more pictures on the wall that show the fact that people are being called to serve and love for the sake of Christ to the uttermost parts of the world? Maybe when you invite people to church, they feel welcome. They feel like this is family. They don't feel like they're being ostracized, like they've got some strange disease and nobody wants to associate with them. I hope that they feel welcome. Maybe it's because when you talk about Jesus, you speak in a way that it's someone they want to know. Because you have passionately pursued your relationship with him. It could be a myriad of things. But I want you to think about what it might be. For people to say, when I think about Melanie Park Church, I think about people who love well. And here's what's most important. When you think about those things, I wonder what you, I want you to consider what you can do to make those things happen. What can you do within the life of this church to love people well, within, without, to the uttermost parts of the world? What does that look like? And how can you be faithful? You see, we are the second and third generation Christians within this church. So, yes, we should be committed to faithful ministry. We need to be diligent. We need to be discerning. We need to be determined. Those are good things. We need to be committed to faithfully communicating biblical truth because we live in a world of compromise, and that is so important. But may we never, ever, ever leave our first love. There is no substitute for a heartfelt devotion to Jesus Christ. May we pursue him as passionately today as we did when it all began. Pray together. Father, I thank you for these words. What a strong warning to this church in Ephesus, which, by the way, as far as I know, doesn't exist. And yet we can read this warning and, and take it to heart, that we can take it personal. And, and we can realize and recognize from their example that we are just we are just as guilty in some cases of falling into the same traps, but we have a chance, within the context of our history, to remember, to repent and to repeat to do the deeds we did at first, to be just as intentional about passionately pursuing you as we were when it all began. Because a love unattended will eventually grow cold. So Lord, help us stoke the fire of love individually as we passionately pursue our walk with you, as we sit and worship at your feet, knowing there is no better place to be. And if there are things that stand in the way, busyness, materialism, Whatever those things might be, may we decide this morning that that will look different and we will be committed as soon as we walk out of this place to move in a different direction. But may we also consider what it means for who we are as a church. That when people talk about Melanie Park Church, what do they say? And may we be devoted and committed and strive towards the hope that what they say about us is that those people know how to love. They love each other. They love others. They stand firm in what they believe is true. But they never lose sight of the beauty of what is right and good and true. So, Father, help us to be faithful. Thank you for loving us even in the midst of those times when we're not. And thank you for the example that you've given us so that we can learn and grow in where we go from here. We pray this in your name.